Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is October 9th. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. Today is Thursday, January 2nd, 2020. Happy New Year. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. President Donald Trump starts off the new year with a series of growing crises overseas, including a major anti-American unrest in the Iraqi capital. The only Latino candidate in the race for 2020 calls it quits, the latest on Julian Castro's plans moving forward. And U.S. officials issue new warnings about cartel violence along the U.S.-Mexico border as an apparent attack is heard in Texas, just across the dividing line from the Mexican state of Nuevo Laredo. This and much more today on U News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. Happy New Year and welcome to U News for Thursday, January 2nd. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. We begin this hour with President Trump, the commander-in-chief, ending his year in political turmoil with his impeachment and starting 2020 with two foreign crises, North Korea threatening to resume nuclear testing and the embassy in Iraq attacked. Here is a recap of the new challenges the president is facing. Cheers and a standing ovation by members of his party. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un announcing on the last day of 2019 that his country should no longer be bound by its self-imposed halt on nuclear weapons and long-range missile testing. According to Kim, a response to the U.S.'s continued sanctions on North Korea. I have a very good relationship with Kim Jong-un. Uh, I know he's... Uh, sending out certain messages about Christmas presents, and I hope his Christmas present is a beautiful vase. That's what I'd like, a vase. U.S. officials have been closely following North Korea after its promise to deliver a Christmas gift to the U.S. earlier this month. Kim was expecting the U.S. to provide concessions like sanctions relief before the end of the year. Look, he likes me, I like him, we get along representing his country, I'm representing my country, we have to do what we have to do. But he did sign a contract, he did sign an agreement talking about denuclearization, and that was signed, number one sentence, denuclearization. North Korea last tested a nuclear weapon in September 2017 when it detonated a hydrogen bomb triggering a 6.3 magnitude seismic event. The Trump administration has previously said that the resumption of serious hostile acts by North Korea, such as conducting intercontinental ballistic missile testing, would increase the chances of a U.S. military response. Meanwhile, tensions with Iran are high amidst two days of chaos. Protests attacking the embassy in Baghdad, decrying American airstrikes on an Iran-backed militia group in Iraq. Protesters shouting down America down, the angry crowd throwing rocks, spraying anti-American graffiti, setting fire to rooftops and guard posts, even ramming bulletproof windows with American security standing on the other side. Apache helicopters sending warning flares over the violent protesters. The next morning, Marines forced to fire tear gas. The militia says 25 of its members were killed in U.S. airstrikes, launched in retaliation for a deadly rocket attack by that same militia group. After Iraqi Prime Minister Adil Abdul Mahdi called on crowds to stand down, the protesters finally obeyed. 
The president tweeting Iran will pay a very big price. This is not a warning, it's a threat, but insisting he does not want war. I don't think that would be a good idea for Iran. It wouldn't last very long. Do I want to? No. I want to have peace. I like peace. Iran responding, saying they are not looking for war, but are also not afraid of conflict. Hundreds of troops have been deployed to Iraq, hundreds more standing by, and this increasing tensions as pro-Iranian pro elements in Iraq continue to demand the removal of American forces overall. With the Senate trial looming for President Trump following his impeachment in the House of Representatives, Senator Susan Collins says she is open to witnesses during the upcoming trial. The moderate Republican made the statement Monday during an interview with Maine Public Radio. Collins also said it is premature to decide who might be called. The question of whether to call witnesses during President Trump's impeachment trial has been an area of speculation. A number of Republican senators have signaled they may fight against the allowing witnesses. Minority leader Chuck Schumer has already requested Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney and former National Security Advisor John Bolton to be called. Senator Collins has a history of crossing the aisle and could be a swing vote during the trial. A federal judge has dismissed a lawsuit by a former Trump national security official challenging a House subpoena after the chamber withdrew it. House investigators initially believed former Bolton deputy Charles Kupperman had firsthand knowledge of President Trump's decision regarding Ukraine. Specifically, Kupperman was said to have been listening in on the July 25th call when President Trump, President Trump pressed Ukrainians Ukraine's president to investigate Democrat Joe Biden. After House investigators subpoenaed his testimony, Kupperman filed a lawsuit. But the subpoena was withdrawn in November. On Monday, the judge in Kupperman's case ruled that since there is no expectation the subpoena will be reissued, the lawsuit is unnecessary. And having delivered key testimony in the impeachment hearings in the House, the acting U.S. ambassador to Ukraine is expected to leave his post today. Bill Taylor posted a farewell message Tuesday ahead of his departure. In the almost two-minute-long video, Taylor stressed the United States' support for Ukraine and voiced optimism about the country. He also announced the deputy chief of mission, Kristina Kiev, would take over uh, duties for now. Taylor's departure comes ahead of a now-postponed Ukraine visit by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Pompeo announced Wednesday that the visit would be rescheduled due to the situation at the U.S. Embassy in Iraq that we had just been mentioning. And major 2020 news to report. Julian Castro has dropped out of the Democratic presidential race. The former Housing and Urban Development Secretary was the only Latino running for the White House. Janet Rodriguez joins me from Washington, D.C. Janet, Castro had really been struggling with fundraising during this last quarter, right? He had, he had. In fact, in October, uh, he sent out an email saying that he needed to raise $800,000 or he would have to drop out of the race. He was not part of the last two Democratic debates, so we know that he had been struggling not only with money, but trying to capture popularity and reach those top-tier candidates. And it was only a matter of time before uh, he had to drop out of the race just because it was not a viable option for him. In a tweet this morning, 
where he announced that he was dropping out. He said, and I quote, it is with profound gratitude to all of our supporters that I suspend my campaign today. I am so proud of everything that we have accomplished together. I am going to keep fighting for an American where everyone counts. I hope you will join me in that five in that fight now, the 45-year-old announced his campaign last January in San Antonio. He was the mayor of San Antonio, but he was never able to really gain any traction. He did uh, put up a platform, put out a platform that was basically trying to give a voice to minorities, to Latinos, to marginalized communities. And that, say some analysts, what was what maybe cost him because he did not reach out to the mainstream communities that may have given him the money and the push that he would have needed to get to the White House. Lorraine? Janet, and as you, was ju you were just mentioning, Castro has said he's going to keep fighting for America. Do we know what's next for him? Well, in 2016, he was considered by the Hillary Clinton campaign as a VP candidate. We have not heard from him today or what the future holds for him, but it may not be, uh, or it may be actually an educated guess, and some analysts are already saying that he may be a very good candidate for the, for the VP position, being the only Latino in the race and being a minority that may help those white candidates that are now left and that are very popular uh, to win the Democratic ticket. Back to you. Thank you, Janet Rodriguez from Washington, D.C. Meanwhile, with just one month before the Iowa caucus, Democratic candidates are ramping up their 2020 efforts to reach voters, announcing their new fundraising numbers, highlighting the issues that are important to them and weighing in on the impeachment trial. Here's Carolina Sarasa with more. Thank you so much for being here. The rush is on to get to voters. But a cloud of uncertainty around the impeachment trial looming and could potentially throw a wrench into some campaign plans. I would honor whatever the Congress, in fact, legitimately asked me to do. After first saying he will not, Joe Biden clarifying that he would comply if subpoenaed for the impeachment trial. But the former vice president maintains his testimony will be irrelevant. I have no first-hand knowledge. There's no basis to that. So my point was, there would be no basis upon which to call me as a witness to an event that, in fact, I cannot have any impact on. Biden not the only candidate waiting to hear if or when they'll be pulled back to D.C. for the impeachment trial. Senators Michael Bennett, Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren will all be faced with juggling their campaigns and their duties in the Senate. Meanwhile, Major Pete, now the former mayor of South Bend, his term ended Wednesday, freeing Buttigieg up to spend more time campaigning. Carolina Sarasa, U News. And speaking of Bernie Sanders, in addition to a $34.5 million haul in the fourth quarter of 2019, the Vermont senator announced on Wednesday that his campaign had now received more than 5 million individual campaign contributions, something no other presidential contender has received at this stage in the race. President Trump's re-election campaign said on Thursday that it raked in $46 million in the fourth quarter of 2019 amid House Democrats' impeachment proceedings. The latest fundraising haul brings the campaign's 2019 fundraising total to $143 million. That also means the campaign is beginning the new year with $102.7 million in cash on hand. 
President Donald Trump's conduct has resulted in multiple questions of whether he is acting in the best interests of America or in his own personal financial interests. But the Washington Post is warning that things could get worse if billionaire Michael Bloomberg is elected president in 2020. Due to Bloomberg's business interests in China, Bloomberg has defended Chinese President Xi Jinping, saying he is not a dictator. And the former New York City mayor also has praised Vice President Wang Xiang. Additionally, Bloomberg has led efforts since 2015 to make it easier for U.S. companies to trade in Chinese currency, a move embraced by China's largest banks. Mainland, mainland China accounts for 1% of Bloomberg LP's revenue and Hong Kong for an additional 4%. The Trump administration may ban the sale of flavored e-cigarette cartridges. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration reportedly plans to announce a ban sales of all cartridge-based flavors other than tobacco and menthol this week. The plan was first reported by the Wall Street Journal, which cited people familiar with the matter. The New York Times reported the sales ban would not apply to tank vaping systems, which are common in vapor shops. Meanwhile, the CDC is confirming there were 2,561 people hospitalized with lung injuries linked to vaping in the United States as of December 27th. Vaping injuries have now been reported in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. The CDC also reported 55 confirmed deaths in 27 states and the District of Columbia. The average age of deceased patients was 52 years old, but fatalities range from those aged 17 to 75. Now to another major story we continue to track. A community is still reeling after a gruesome and deadly attack during a Hanukkah celebration in New York. This as an eyewitness spoke about what he saw during the tragedy. Rafael Rodriguez has the latest. And he pulled it out and he boom, boom, boom. Aaron Cohn describing the bloodbath he witnessed inside his rabbi's home Saturday night when five Hasidic Jews were stabbed by a knife-wielding man during a Hanukkah celebration. Despite a big uptick in police presence since then, Cohn says he still feels unsafe. When I'm going into my back to my house, my number locked, boom, right away, I locked the door. I mean, it's scary. They're afraid to be out in the street. They're afraid to even, in this case, be in their home. Ramapo Town Supervisor Michael Specht speaking to media after visiting the rabbi's home where Saturday's attack occurred and where he says blood still covers much of the house. He says fear among Hasidic Jews has reached new heights and that the town is now changing its security protocol as a result. Speaking for the security, from the town's point of view, it's not going to go away. The way that things changed after 9-11 and how we viewed the world and what we had to do is changed after Saturday night. So that won't go away. Also not going away, this mobile command center from private firm Brosnan Security, now parked outside the crime scene. The van is the command center for a fleet of trucks manned with armed guards, all who will now patrol area synagogues. The private security coming free of charge as fear spreads among the community. But alongside that fear, says Specht, is resilience. As horrible as this attack was and as horrible as the other anti-Semitism and other violence that we've seen happening in the region, the community is not going to let themselves be stopped. Rafael Rodriguez, U News.
A new ICE sting tactic has many pro-immigrant groups outraged. ICE setting up a fake university to recruit undocumented students to later deport them. Pablo Gato has the story. It's called Farmington University. It's in Detroit. It has its own seal, and you can study there business, computer science, and engineering. There is only a small problem. It doesn't exist. It's a make-believe university created by ICE to trick foreign students that are in the U.S. Their target are students that are undocumented or that will be soon undocumented. The university would allow them to obtain or renew their student visas and stay in the U.S. ICE tape the interviews and the undercover ICE agent lets the students know that they will not go to the university because there wouldn't be available classes and that they are doing something illegal. But uh, I don't have any classes to give you. We would create, obviously in our system, we would create that you're going to classes. So what we would need from you is uh, we would send you we would send you documents or a class and schedule this that says that you've gone to classes and everything That's like that. Fine. That's what you wanted? Yes. Okay, you know this is not legal, right? So it has to kind of stay between us, right? I know, I know. Okay. ICE arrested 250 students and later deported them. But some ask themselves, is it legal what ICE did? They say it could be a case of entrapment. In a legal case, a court said that the students were victims. ICE says that the students knew that they were doing something illegal and therefore they are not victims. It's not legal, so I mean, we have to, this process is if they, if, you know, if the authorities or immigration were to find out that you guys are not going to classes, we can get in trouble for this. So it's important that we keep this between us, right? Sure, sure. You know, that, that's the most important thing, as long as you guys understand that. This activist says that this is one more step to deport more people. This does not surprise me. The administration uses all its power to make things more difficult for immigrants, he says. Hello, you have reached the Office of Admissions for University of Farmington. A university that does not exist, but that left very real deportations. Washington, Pablo Gato, U News. And now that it's a new year, a number of new laws going into effect in states around the country. In Florida, drivers have been warned about the new law banning texting while driving. Now motorists can be stopped and ticketed for texting and driving. Tickets will be $30 for non-moving violations and $60 for moving violations. The fines go up even more if you're speeding. The law began July 1st, but motorists were given a six-month period during which warnings were issued for people spotted texting while driving. Riding the subway is set to become a lot more affordable in the Big Apple for those with limited means. With the arrival of the new year, reduced subway fares will be available for low-income New Yorkers. Peggy Carranza has the details from the Bronx. Low-income New Yorkers, regardless of immigration status, will soon be able to enroll in a program that will cut their subway fares by half. As of January 27th, those who qualified with income less than $12,000 annually for one person or $25,000 for a family of four may request their Metro cards with a 50% discount online. Ramiro Garcia, who works in a restaurant and has two children, says he will sign up for the plan. The cost of the fare is quite high. It would benefit me by helping me to buy other things like food, said Ramiro. 
The program was announced by Major Bill de Blasio and the City Council Speaker and is the expansion of a plan that has attracted almost 100,000 New Yorkers. This councilman says that applicants must prove their income. It will help the city because those individuals will be able to connect it to job opportunity and therefore to be able to make the living, support themselves and contribute more to the city. The prices with discounts are $16 for the weekly pass, $63 for the monthly pass, and $1.35 for a single fare. The Metro cards could be received by mail, and steps have been taken to prevent fraud. We know that the city and the MTA has all the technology, the system in place to be sure that only those who qualify will be the one that will be getting the Metro cards. Advocates estimate that 800,000 low-income New Yorkers will be able to access the program. In New York City, Peggy Carranza, EU News. Recreational marijuana is now legal in Illinois as the state joins 10 other states and Washington, D.C., where the industry no longer has to operate in the dark. If the lines on day one are any indication as how this is going to go, finding customers won't be a problem for local businesses. David Romo has more. Since 6 a.m. and despite the intense cold, residents have been trying to get their hands on the product. I can get it cheaper, but the difference here is that I know the selection, the quality, and everything else is safer. I think it's great that we can get it, and we can do it in the proper and legal way. The shop said they prepared in advance for the huge demand. We've been prepping for three or four months. The employees are twice as many as six months ago. Illinois law states that people over the age of 21 can purchase 30 grams of marijuana and 500 milligrams of edible products. People from other states can buy half of these amounts. I come from Wisconsin. It's illegal there, but it's only an hour and a half drive. Advocates for the legalization of marijuana say this is a historic day for minority communities. Until the day before, this was a crime, and many of the people who were in jail for marijuana were young Latinos and African Americans. But there are some restrictions on marijuana use. It has to be at home, you can't drive under the influence, and you have to have responsibilities. Possession and use of marijuana remains a federal crime, and immigrants are called upon to refrain from using it. Reporting from Chicago, from Viviana Avila, David Romo, U News. It was a difficult holiday season for hundreds of migrants at the border who have been braving frigid temperatures in Mexico as they wait for their asylum hearings in the U.S. Pedro Rojas has more on the toll that this process is taking on the vulnerable population. The makeshift camps of migrants awaiting asylum hearings in Mexico's border cities are now under the watch of Mexican authorities, who are concerned about the effects of the frigid temperatures, especially on children. However, in Ciudad Juarez, many refuse to leave their tents and others simply wish to return to their place of origin. Believe me, I do not recommend this to anyone because it is difficult and even worse for the people who tried to cross illegally and lost their chance to request asylum. So it is really difficult and sad, says Arely Jaramillo, a migrant from the Mexican state of Guerrero. 
Well, the cold weather really hits us and that is why we're working on returning to our hometowns and for now are looking for other alternatives to get protection in a house because these tents are not made for that, says Elvis Garcia, a migrant from the Mexican state of Veracruz. The same reality can be seen in the border town of Matamoros, where the tents have multiplied around the international bridges. Mexican authorities refuse to use force to remove the migrants and say that they will continue keeping a close watch on the camps. The idea is basically bringing to their attention the availability of humanitarian aid through the shelters. They have obviously opened their doors, says Enrique Valenzuela, a state official. Sometimes in the early morning hours it gets colder and our blankets are not enough. We are literally on the streets and without enough to cover us, says Luis Gutierrez, another migrant. Well, just imagine, we are cold and hungry and lack of food, says another migrant who asks us to withhold his name. Unofficial numbers indicate that close to 60,000 migrants have been sent back to Mexico through the Migrant Protection Protocol program, and a large number of them are living in the camps. Mexican authorities are concerned that the cold temperatures could end up creating a mass tragedy at the makeshift camps. In McAllen, Texas, Pedro Rojas, U News. Law enforcement officers in the U.S. are warning residents to be cautious when traveling into Nuevo Laredo after recent outbursts of violence that could be heard on the American side of the border. Authorities are advising residents to avoid crossing into Mexico altogether. According to reports, an intense shootout between the Tamaulipas State Police and drug cartel members took place over several hours. Gunmen were reportedly using high-powered rifles and even explosives. Elsewhere in Mexico, at least 16 inmates were killed and five others injured after a prison riot on Tuesday. Mexican authorities found three firearms and other weapons that were allegedly used in the riot, which took place in the state of Zacatecas. The state governor was ordered, has ordered additionally security reinforcements at the prison, though officials now say the situation there is apparently under control, according to the Zacatecas Secretary of Public Safety, that is. And in Colombia, a woman made history Wednesday being sworn in as the first female mayor of Bogotá. Claudia López was elected mayor of the country's capital city on October 27th. She's also the first openly gay politician to occupy the position, considered the second highest political office in that country after the presidency. In December, the, the then mayor-elect announced her marriage to her partner, Senator Angélica Lozano. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your News, your world, You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. A food
A food producer is recalling one of its soup products. CC's veggie company's brand ramen with chicken broth comes from the separately packaged eggs supplied by Allmark Foods. The problem, the eggs are associated with the listeria outbreak. The bacteria can be fatal for children and the elderly and can cause miscarriages and stillbirths in pregnant women. For everyone else, listeria causes short-term gastrointestinal distress, commonly referred to as food poisoning. The company is urging customers to throw out any of the potentially tainted items. And it's increasingly looking like early diagnosis and intervention can really make a difference when it comes to autism. And a group of researchers in upstate New York are hopeful a new saliva test aimed at toddlers will help doctors detect autism earlier. The project began six years ago, but the need was so high the company Quadrant Biosciences released the test last month, giving more children access to it. Now scientists are looking for more children between 18 months and four years old to participate at the Upstate Medical University in Syracuse. Now, if getting fit is one of your 2020 resolutions, January is the best time to save on a gym membership. That's because health clubs are offering promotions and deals to win over the New Year's resolution crowd. Kelia Tejada has tips on how to save on fitness centers, studios and classes. Getting fit this year can be expensive, but if you're committed to getting into shape in 2020, experts say you don't have to overspend, just choose wisely. A gym that is not hoping that you don't come and keep paying, but hoping that you come all the time, and if you don't, we'll figure out a way to make it work. Consumer Reports has these tips to help you pay less. Number one, sign up for trial run. Most clubs offer free trial passes, so take some classes, try out the gym's equipment, locker room and see if you like the community. Number two, research prices and search for deals online. Discount websites usually have major deals on fitness classes, trainers and local gyms. Somewhere that gives you an opportunity to try them out, um, try them out for free and then doesn't offer you any kind of contracts. Experts say this forces gyms to work hard to keep you coming back. Number three, negotiate a deal. Consumer Reports suggest you go straight to the gym's manager instead of a salesperson. They may be more likely to work out a better membership price. And most gym owners are there in this because they want to help people. Kelia Tejada, U News. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.